Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. I am John Schmelk, joined by Paul Dottino. The phone number for you is 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. If you want to get in touch with us that way, you can. Uh, big show today. It's all presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prize. We're trying to turn around some Dave Gettleman audio from the conference call. We'll see if we can manage to do that. Uh, but we will get live conversations with both Kevin Zeitler and Jabril Peppers. So make sure you stay tuned. They'll come a little bit later in the show. And, Paul, I was in there doing a video interview with Bob Papa and Dave Gettleman that will air a little bit later on on Giants.com. So I did not hear his portion of the conference call. Why don't you give me your brief summary and, and then your take on what he had to say. All right. There are really three things he addressed. He addressed the Odell Beckham Jr. trade. He addressed the Landon Collins maneuver of not putting a tag on him and allowing him to walk. And he also addressed Eli Manning. So let's go backwards, since the guy who is still here is Eli Manning. Uh, he said that uh, today is the day that Eli Manning gets his bonus, his roster bonus, and the team is just moving on with that. Simply put, he believes that watching Eli Manning play, he can still play at a high level and win games, and that if you look at the second half of last season when they gave him help along the offensive line, he was very productive. And he actually said when you consider the value of, of what quarterbacks are getting paid these days, and you look at how Eli played, he said, first, it's a crock to think that Eli can't play, and second, there was no decision to be made. It was quite frank and obvious that Dave Gettleman was totally on board and buying into keeping Eli Manning as his quarterback. That's, that's clearly never been an issue for him. Did he talk at all about, and I'm sure there was a follow-up question about it, about the prospects, even though Eli is here, about whether or not the organization is still open to drafting a quarterback in April? He did not discuss that. He wasn't he, asked about that, he huh? He was not. The only huh. thing he was asked about is possibly giving Eli an extension. He did say it was discussed, but did not go into any further detail. And, of course, that would be to lessen some of the salary cap, Correct. structure, and you would get all that done okay that's the Eli Manning thing a good place to start how about the Odo Beckham Jr. trade which is I'm sure the headline for a lot of people Correct. what was his reasoning behind that well he said first of all he was not shopping Odell Beckham Jr. the only phone call he made to have conversations about Beckham was with the Buffalo Bills remember he's got a buddy up there who was in the front office Brendan Bean who worked with him in Carolina Correct. Mm -hmm. He said that he had called him, and he said it was it was it was kind of a half-hearted, funny thing too, because he said him and Brandon like to like to rib each other. Well, and if you remember, so, the Bills were apparently in the mix to trade for Antonio Brown until Antonio right. Brown said, "I don't want to go there." So, if once you have the deal in place with Cleveland, you want to go see if you can find a better one, why not call the team that was in the mix for the other top wide receiver in the market? Well, it seems to me, based on what Dave said, if I understood his timeline correctly, the call to the Bills was made. I think right after the Antonio Brown deal. Oh, so it was before the deal. Correct. I got you. Correct. Okay. Mm -hmm. And according to Dave, he said that they had fielded calls from the Niners way back when, but they could never agree on price, so that was kind of a dead issue. The only call he said he made because he was not shopping Beckham, and we tried to tell you that, was to Buffalo, and they couldn't, they couldn't come to a deal there either. And then he said on uh, Monday, I believe he mentioned Monday because he said the deal with the Browns, they picked up the phone, called him, and took it about 10 hours to complete wow. okay. the deal for Beckham. So basically it started on Tuesday morning and ended Tuesday night. Monday right. night, Tuesday morning, whatever. Because uh, we don't know when Garofolo from NFL Network reported that we don't know if that was the actual time it happened. It's a good point. Okay. Mm -hmm. So he said the deal took about 10 hours to complete, and it was at Dorsey's 
call the guy from the Browns who made that inquiry because Gettleman said that you don't make calls on a player like this because then you're not dealing from a position of strength. You're going to wind up working from behind as you try to get the compensation. And he's right. George Young used to say the same thing all the time. If you're interested in dealing a player, you wait for people to call you. You don't make the call to them. So that so that's why he said we were not interested in shopping Beckham. He also said that his litmus test was the minimum of two first-round picks because he said had the Giants not signed him to an extension, they would have been able to get two franchise picks back as compensation for a franchise tag. So in his mind, he was not going to settle for anything less than that because that was the, quote, litmus test in terms of what people were going to have to offer to pry him away. As he said, it was going to have to be a king's ransom, and one of the which things, we also said on this show. And I ran to get him in the hall after we did the TV interview that you'll see on Giants.com, and I said to him, Dave, you know, this whole thing, you know, why would you give him the bonus and everything and then trade him? And he said, well, John, I said this to him on the conference call, and he said this to, uh, to Bob Hopp as well, that the mere fact that you had already signed to a long-term deal made him a more valuable trade commodity. Correct. If, for example, folks, and, and this is really the simplest, and I didn't even think about this before, I should have. If you could have gotten two first-round picks for Odell Beckham Jr. before the franchise tag came, how come a team didn't just sign him when he was on the franchise tag? Right. There aren't any terms to negotiate. It's NFL rules. Correct. You sign him, you get two first-round picks, and game over. Right. So you could not have gotten that value. There's proof positive evidence of that based on the fact nobody tried to sign Odo Beckham Jr. when he was franchised. You could not have gotten this type of return for him if you had done this before he got the long-term contract. So the fact that he had re-signed, or should I say signed an extension, actually made him a more valuable tradable commodity. Correct. That's the bottom line. And Dave explained that too. And he said, they're in the business of accumulating good football players. The Giants have a lot of needs to fill, and he intends on filling as many needs as he can. So he's like, guess what? I have three entities now as the result of that trade. Two equivalent first-round picks and a third-rounder. And he said, I still got 12 picks coming up in this draft. So Dave Dave is, is very clear about he's got a lot of work to do, and he plans on doing it. One thing you mentioned about Pop, and I'll move on to the next topic now because he discussed a lot, the Landon Collins decision not to put him on the franchise tag. Oh, I, you know what? Oh, Before we do that, finish it up. What do you I got? should finish one other point because I know Dave has been hammered about this. He addressed the fact that when he signed Beckham and then in the ensuing months, he continued to maintain we did not sign him to trade him. Remember, a lot of the writers have really slammed him for this. Mm-hmm. He said, understand something. When we signed him, That's absolutely true. We signed him because we intended for him to be here. But if I got bowled over and knocked over with a great deal, and again, the litmus test was a minimum of two first-round picks, he said, I've got to make the team better. And since Peppers was a first-round pick on his rookie deal, making correct money plus the three, he considers the offer they got from the Browns, or the deal they made with the Browns, I should say, uh, to uh, the equivalent of two first-round picks. That is correct. He also added about Peppers. He didn't talk as much about Zeitler. He talked more about Peppers. He said that he really liked him coming out of school at Michigan mm-hmm. because he had had him in for a visit when the Panthers uh, uh, were looking for a first-round pick back in the day. And so he said, I've, I've had a good feeling about this player since he came out of Michigan. He, he clearly thinks a lot of Jabril Peppers. And he also mentioned the fact uh, to Bob Papa in regards to Jabril Peppers that he's somebody that's ascending, is getting better, and it's someone that 
again, I'll now return to the landing columns because this is you know the the production per dollar thing we talked about last week. PPD. That's twelve million for the landing columns tag or eleven and a half, whatever it was, right? Well, now you have a starting strong safety to replace him at about under two million a year because the Browns take care of the signing bonus on the Peppers contract, and you sign Antoine Bethay. So for less the cost of half of Landon Collins' franchise tag, less than half, you have your two starting safeties, and you're in a much better position at safety today than what you were last year. That is correct. He addressed the the question as to why didn't you trade Collins when you had a chance last year. He said he did have some offers. He didn't feel the value of those talks was worth it to pull the trigger. He also said you had to consider the situation that our team was in too. I just didn't feel like the the value was right to pull pull the deal did then. He, did he talk about that value versus the potential value of a he did of not. a compensatory he selection? He did not talk okay. about that, but I I think you could assume right. You know that he must have had that in the back of his mind. If if he had the franchise tag as the litmus test for the Odell trade, right. you must believe that he also has that somewhere floating in his head about what they might wind up getting for Collins. He did talk about Kevin Zeitler a little bit with Bob Papa, so I'll bring that up real quick, Paul. He told him a guy that plays with really good power, uh, had one of the best test scores of any offensive lineman uh, in the NFL. I think that's the one they're like more likely uh, than not. He did not say that. That's my words, not his, so don't say that. Dave Gettleman said that. That's my words, I'm assuming. That he moves well, he's smart, and he can really solidify the right side of that line, which they're still trying to do also in terms of the right tackle. And Bob did ask him about, you know, what's next? Is he still looking at free agency more? And he kind of said, look, we're looking. I'm, I'm working on the fringes. But he said, let me put it this way, Bob. On Sunday when I looked at tape, I was looking at college tape. I wasn't looking at free agent tape. So I think the next big additions will come probably in free agency, though they'll still try to fill whatever holes and the holes on the roster they can through free agency in the next few weeks. Yes, he did say they would explore all avenues, but, uh, you know, given the fact of what they've already done, and look, folks, you can look up online approximately how much money they still have. It's not like he can go out and sign a big fish. Uh, To finish your thought on Zeitler, he did not specifically address him, but he was asked about, you you brought in uh, a 31-year-old receiver, you brought in a soon-to-be 30-year-old lineman. The what's-the-plan question. Right, and you brought Mm -hmm. in a 34-year-old safety. He said age doesn't matter to him. He's interested in good football players, and if the guy's a good football player and can play, he wants him. And he said Bethay is still a good football player, and he's going to mentor Peppers well, and he still says he's got football left in him. So he was not so much concerned about age as much as he is production. He said all these guys have production. The last thing that he said, um, which I thought was also, you know, addressing the plan, and I think we've even talked about this on the program, uh, a couple of guys insisted on the call that you tell us what the plan is. The fans have to know. They need to know. And as Dave said, why do I have to tell anybody? You know, that, that – He's in the business of improving a football team within a competitive environment. It's not his job to reveal every single part of what he is planning to do. That's not his responsibility. His responsibility is to improve the team, not tell everybody and telegraph, hey, guess what we're going to do? And quite frankly, that can hurt the franchise when you get into trade negotiations and stuff like that. And I'll throw in this too, and this is my words, not his. You'll see it on Cover 3 this morning on Giants.com. I don't understand why people are so confused about the plan. If you go back, John Mara had very intense words about the idea of not trying to win football games back in November of 2017 using expletives, something that you don't hear John Mara say It is not an option. Correct. And Dave Gettleman said he doesn't think tanking works. So 
look, they're trying to rebuild this roster while at the same time be competitive. Now, that can be a tough needle to thread. It can get tricky. And it takes a lot of finessing. But I think you see it. You mentioned the signings of guys at over 30. Eli's still the quarterback. But at the same time, they moved some present assets like JPP last year, Odo Beckham Jr. this year for future picks. So, guys, the plan's not that complicated. You might not like it, but it's not that complicated. They're trying to remain competitive. If everything goes right, maybe make a fringe playoff run, but also set the franchise up for long-term success in the future. Do I th- do you think I got that pretty well? Oh, I don't think there's any question about it because, as Dave said, we are in the business of trying to win football games. When I got here, we had three wins. Last year, we had five and a bunch of close calls. I, I think he went as far to say, uh, John, and I can know it can be deceiving. Giants had 12 games decided by less than a touchdown this past season. And so he was trying to say they have certainly taken incremental steps to improve the team in his first season. Well, in the second and half, they're going to continue to try to be better. Yeah, in the second half of last year was markedly better than the first half of last Huge year. Huge difference. Now, you always, Huge you difference. always worry about making too much out of the final four games and things like that. No argument. I get it. That being said, you have to be optimistic of where they were playing in those final four games. Uh, of last year and the final eight games, really. All right, folks, we'll take your phone calls a little bit later on in the show at 201-939-4513. It's all presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes. But before we get to your calls, we're going to talk to one of the newest members of the New York football Giants, and that is offensive lineman, offensive lineman Kevin Zeitler, who was recently acquired from the Cleveland Browns in the Odell Beckham Jr. trade. Kevin, you got John Schmelk and Paul Dottino here in East Rutherford on Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants.com. Good afternoon and congratulations. Welcome to New York. Thank you. I'm glad to be there. All right. Tell Giant fans that maybe haven't watched a lot of Cleveland Browns football over the past five, six years what they're getting with Kevin Zeitler. Well, I'd say, you know, a guy who's always on the field, you know, I've been able to stand to have been able to play a system. I've been able to really help every team I've been on. So I'm excited to be here and, you know, get to work. How much did playing with Joe Thomas and seeing him never miss a snap, let alone a game, kind of give you that foundation where, look, I always got to be out there and availability is sometimes the most important thing as an NFL football player? Oh, it really is. You know, you want your guys to be out there. There's a reason you know, they're on the team, and you want them out there given, you know, any situation. Joe uh, Thomas, you know, he's the only example. He was able to do for 10 straight years. The way he took care of his body, the way he got the time for the game, you know, it's great to win from him, and, you know, I'm hopeful he can continue and maybe even keep my record going. <laughs> Kevin, your your credentials are impeccable. Obviously, one of the best guards in the NFL by anybody's measure or grade. Uh, Dave Gettleman says one of the things he looks for in a player is instinct because that's something you can't teach. It's got to be it's got to be born from within, and it's a very critical part, especially to an offensive line which has to gel quickly whenever there is a part that is changed out. So what do you think your level of adaptability is going to be as you join the Giants to fit in, to mess with the guys who are here, and to be able to produce at the level that you have for the last several years? Um, you know, I think that'll be, you know, pretty good. You know, we got a lot of time. We've got the offseason program, we've got OTAs, we've got training camp. So we plenty of time, you know, to get the line and everyone working on the same page, you know. Have you taken much look uh, at Giant Film? I guess probably in the last week. I'm going to guess you probably have at least looked online or maybe on, on Game Pass or something to see what it is that, that they kind of do philosophically from an offensive standpoint and, and kind of what it might might be like to block for Saquon Barkley. 
Yeah, you know, you and I threw up the uh, Saquon Hunt. I was just curious, you know, what he had all done. And, you know, it's really impressive. I'm to both with that again. I'm excited to do everything I can to give Eli time. And, you know, I'm excited to do what we can all do. You know, Kevin, you are involved in, I guess, what I'll call a, a long-term rebuilding process in Cleveland, and you finally saw them start to turn the corner last year. In your opinion, just in the locker room, maybe some of the intangible stuff, what has to happen for a team to go from tough times, and the Giants were 3-13, and they were 5-11, and to take that step into being a, a better team, a winning team, and how can you help the Giants get there? Well, you know, I'd say, you know, like I said, I'm a consistent guy. I'm out there. I'm trying to work every day to be better and, you know, help anyone around me get better. So, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, I can't overthink what I can do. You know, I'm going to go there. I'm going to do what I can do. I'm going to help anyone I can. And, you know, we're going to make sure we take care of that a lot. You know, if the alone just stands up, you know, it helps the team. You know, everything just keeps building, you know, one position after another. And, you know, eventually before we know it, good things start happening. Kevin, uh, we just got off the phone with Dave Gettleman, who did a conference call with the New York media, and, and one of the things he said to, to them was that you have to be patient when you make a trade because it takes time or over maybe even a couple of years, three years maybe, before you figure out if it's a thumbs-up or a thumbs-down deal. You're involved in this huge, mega, multiplayer deal uh, uh, coming to the Giants. Do you feel any extra pressure because you're coming to the Big Apple, you're coming to New York, and you also were involved in such a blockbuster deal? Well, I mean, uh, I think it's a little different. You know, New York is going to be a different place from, you know, the other places I've played, you know, Cincinnati and Cleveland, you know, much bigger. And it seems, you know, you can't overthink it, you know. You just have to go in each day and take care of your business. You know, if you start uh, putting more things on it than there are, you know, it's just going to hurt you, which, you know, doesn't help you help the team as much as you possibly could. We're joined by Kevin Zeiler. Kevin, one other thing Dave Gettleman said about you during that conference call, he loves how smart of a football player you are. You'll have a chance to play with one of the more cerebral quarterbacks in the league in Eli Manning. you got Nate Solder at left tackle who's been in the league a long time, knows what he's doing. How much are you looking forward to working with those guys and, and kind of getting all that stuff straight in terms of protections and, and mentally being where you need to be to be a productive player for the Giants? Oh, I'm very excited. You know, you know, I'll be the first, you know, big-time veteran QB I've played with you know, who has Super Bowl rings and has that leadership. So I'm excited to, you know, see how he, uh, you know, is in person because I've only heard great things about how he knows, like, all the football and everything. So it's going to be exciting to play with him. And obviously, the O-line, you know, we have time. We're going to get after it and uh, get it going. It seems like all the guys that come out of Wisconsin, Kevin, or at least a large majority of them, are really smart football players. What is it about the way they <laughs> teach you to play offensive line at Wisconsin that you think helps translate so well for you guys heading into the NFL? All on you, John. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think Wisconsin just has it figured out. You know, O-line is like the starting position there. Um, the way they develop their athletes, because, you know, a lot of Wisconsin alone are coming in as five-star recruits, you know. They know how to attack a lineman, how to train a lineman to be a lineman there in the weight room, on the field, how to teach them the game. And, you know, you know everyone comes out of there can just play. That's, I think, the biggest difference. You know, might not be the most, you know, they're not maybe not running the sub-540, but they can, you know, sit on a bull rush. They know how to pick up blitzes. They can already see the defenses and learn all the rules. So, you know, they come into the NFL camp, they know what to do before, you know, maybe other, other programs, guys would know how to do something. 
Final question uh, for me, Kevin. What style of lineman do you consider yourself? John asked you before for like a capsule of, of what they can expect. But but do you do you consider yourself more of a technique guy, more of a power guy, a mauler kind of guy? Uh, give the Giants fans a, a flavor for what they're going to see when you lock up with somebody along the line of scrimmage. I mean, more than anything, I think I can do it all. Like, I think I can pass block, and I think I can run block, you know, move out of the scheme. You know, I take pride in that. You know, it doesn't matter what's called to me. All that matters is, you know, I get my job done and then get the offense rolling. So I think, you know, I've been lucky enough to have the ability to do whatever's asked. Kevin, final one for me. You've been through a lot of offensive coordinator and schemes in Cleveland, unfortunately. Uh, how much have you played in zone blocking schemes? How much have you played in power running schemes, gap stuff? Uh, do you have a comfort level, or have you been in so many systems where you can pretty much jump in and, and do whatever's asked of you? I mean, ever since college, all my offenses have been the same thing. You know, we've done it all. So <laughs> I've, done, I've done, done inside zone. I've done gap schemes. I've done power schemes. You know, I've done mid-zone schemes. So, you know, nothing is going to be that. All offenses do the same thing. It just depends how much they call things. Yeah. So, you know, I'm comfortable, you know, with whatever they call, and I'm excited to work with you know, Coach Al Hunter, you know, to you know, master it all. Kevin, great stuff. Welcome to New York. Welcome to the Giants. We're looking forward to seeing you here at the facility in a few weeks and seeing you on the practice field shortly thereafter. Congratulations and best of luck. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you. I appreciate it. That's Kevin Zeitler, one of the newest members of the New York Giants, and boy, whew, you could tell. Dave Gettleman likes to bring in a certain type of guy, and we're going to have Jabril Peppers in a second. You'll see it with him, too. Good dudes and smart players is, is what he wants to bring in. I didn't have the heart to ask him if he minds being called a hog molly because I'm sure he's bigger than I am, and if he didn't like that nickname, he could squash me. Yeah, but he's not here to squash you, so that would have, that would have been the time to ask him, to be quite honest with you. Oh, I think he would have found me out as soon as he got to the building. But in any event, uh, certainly a guy who you could tell – just by his attitude, he's a blue-collar worker. And and that's what you need in the trenches. Nobody's going to be fancy there. You just get the job done. And, uh, look, great stuff to have him, and we're very glad to bring him to you on the show. And now we'll bring you Jabril Peppers, the other new member of the New York Football Giants, also involved in the trade that sent Odo Beckham Jr. to the Browns. A big return for the Giants. Third-year safety out of Michigan, Jabril Peppers. Jabril, you got John Schmelk and Paul Dottino here on Giants.com. We had the pleasure of sitting down and, and talking the other day, so I'll let Paul ask most of the questions, but I'll start with this. Has it sunk in that you'll get to play, <laughs> the, hopefully for you, the rest of your career in, front, in your home state of New Jersey? It's definitely starting to soak in, man. It's definitely starting to soak in, man. It's definitely a great feeling. I'm excited. Jabril, uh, Etwan Bethay uh, is going to join you in the safety spot with the Giants in the backfield. And Dave Gettleman just got done telling us about the experience he has, the kind of things he can bring to the table that will help you as a young player grow and eventually become the leader back there. I'm curious as to how you see that dynamic developing. Absolutely. You know, any guy that plays 10-plus years in this league, you know, is doing something right, and his production speaks for itself. Um, you know, I'm definitely excited to play along a veteran guy, especially, you know, one who played in this system, um, you know, who can, you know, point out things to me or, you know, just give me little pointers that will help me play faster. And, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely going to be great roaming, roaming the secondary backfield with Jabril, we've had Carl Banks and, and some of our other former players here break down some of your tape for the fans on the Internet site. Your athleticism is certainly off the charts, and everybody knew that when you played at Bosco. I'm going to get that plug in for you because I know everyone in North Jersey loves you. <laughs> uh, 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 but let me ask you this. 
when you were at Michigan and they used you in all kinds of ways and they said you're going to be a Swiss Army knife when you got to the NFL, do you think that that experience helped you or inhibited you a little bit once you got to the league and then had to figure out that you were going to play one position that they were going to ask you to? Or is it a jack-of-all-trades thing, a better thing for you? Well, I mean, you know, playing football a lot can never hurt you. You know, and I think that it uh, it broadened my, you know, my mind as far as what offenses are trying to do. You know, when I was down there around the line of scrimmage a lot, I saw a lot of, you know, the different schemes offensive linemen, you know, try to do whether it's pin and pull or, you know, they try to double and get down to the, the second level or, you know, even just seeing what the running back is seeing, you know, and uh, blitzing the quarterback, you know, learning the protections and, you know, certain checks. Um, so all, all of that went into play, you know, as far as my growth as a player. And, uh, you know, now that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm playing more as a safety role, you know, with that knowledge of being so close to the line of scrimmage, you know, it definitely helps. And then, you know, playing free my rookie season, you know, helped me see how the routes were developing, you know, how, how, how certain offenses attack certain coverages, even, even certain offensive coordinators' tendencies. So, you know, everything just goes into play um, in terms of, you know, being the best football player you can be. So I definitely think it helped. Now, let me add something else. Playing at the big house, I mean, Michigan, the, the fans are rabid. They love their Wolverines. They pack the place. Tremendous heat in that spotlight and pressure. But now you're coming home where you played at Bosco and you played at Paramus Catholic in North Jersey. Is the pressure to play in front of your hometown fans much different than the pressure you felt when you went to Michigan as one of the highest premier recruits in the nation? I mean, you know, there's no pressure when you're prepared. You know, and uh, I, 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 I put in the work. You know, I, I work extremely hard, you know, in the days leading up to the to game day. You know, so I don't even think about that, man. I just think about going out there, playing the best ball I can play, you know, making as many plays as I can make and, you know, doing whatever I got to do to help my team win. And when you do that, you know, good things happen for you. So, you know, that's been my formula, and uh, that's what I'm going to continue to stick with. Jimmy, what do you think you've learned, and what do you think you've improved upon the most since arriving to the NFL, thanks to your two years playing really two different types of safety positions with the Browns? Oh, just just seeing things from, you know, different perspectives, whether it's the deep safety and the down safety, um, you know, even even playing some linebacker. Um, just seeing the different ways offices try to attack you, you know, and um, every it's it's a copycat league in the in the NFL, you know, that everyone wants to score points, and if something's working, you know, if something worked against you, you know, so you're probably going to see that again. So uh, just really, just really understanding what offices are trying to do, you know, on, on certain downs and personnel, and uh, you know, really just studying film, man, and. You know, just trusting your instincts, trusting yourself, and uh, make the plays you're supposed to make. And uh, I think when I came in, you know, I was a little hesitant, you know, um, and, and instead of just, just going for, you know, scared to make a mistake and ended up making a mistake anyway. So that's definitely been my, you know, my, my thing I wanted the most improve on. Just if I feel that I'm going to go, you know, I'm not going to hesitate. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's been working out for me. You know, I love that answer, Jabril, because I know coming out of Michigan, great athlete, runs fast. When we were done with our video interview last week when you were here, and I asked you about one specific play 
where it wasn't a, it wasn't an interception or a turnover. There was nothing spectacular about it except for the fact you put a big hit on a tight end. And you even knew exactly what play I was talking about right away, what your responsibility was, what happened. For you, why is that type of recall and the mental part of the game so important for you continuing to grow as a safety and be, hopefully at some point, a Pro Bowl safety? Well, you know, the game is 80% mental. You know, I, and I even like to say 85%. You know, and I and if I already can eliminate, you know, certain things that you, you're gonna do, that'll help me play faster and uh, make a play on the ball. And uh, you know, just 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 studying film, you know, that that definitely helps you play faster. Recognizing something be, and seeing it before it happens gives you a jump on the ball, man. And, and you can make a big time play that can change the game. So you know, that's been that's been my mantra. You know, I'm I'm, I'm sticking with my film study. I found a, a, an effective way that works for me, and uh, you know, just 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 sticking with it. You know, and offenses like to do, you know, different things in the first 15 plays. You know, but after those 15 plays, they kind of get back to doing what they do. So once you kind of got an idea of, you know, what what an office wants to do, you know, you can play fast and make a lot of plays. So that's just my mindset about it. Well, Jabril, we, we know about your versatility. Uh, you played both safety spots. We know you can line up all over the field. I also remember very well about your kick return ability because that was electric at Michigan, and I know you've done it as well with the Browns. How do you see your role actually fitting in to what the Giants are going to ask you to do? Is it too early to tell, or do you have a gauge on that? Oh, I think it's definitely too early to tell, but I can tell you whatever they ask me to do, I'm going to do to the best of my ability and do it at an effective level. So, you know, I'm, 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 I'm just as anxious as you are to find out my role. <laughs> <laughs> How about special teams, Jabril? Paul, Paul just mentioned it. We know about your ability as a return guy, but you're on coverage teams too. Uh, talk about how important special teams are to you and why you're such an effective player on special oh, teams. Special teams is just as important as offense and defense. You know, it's, it's all three phases. You can lose a game on special teams and you can win a game on special teams. You know, you can play lights out offense and defense and lose a game on special teams. So you'd be a fool not to, you know, think that special teams is, isn't important. And, uh, you know, I just felt as though, you know, coming out of Michigan, you know, playing for Coach Harbaugh, Coach Partridge, you know, they took special teams very serious. And uh, they said that if you can't play special teams, you know, no one is going to want you on the roster. So that's something that always stuck with me. And, uh, you know, I always wanted to, make game-changing plays in a special teams unit, you know, just because I feel as though it's one of the most important units, you know, in a football game. All right, I got one more for you, Jabril. Now that, now that you're coming back home, uh, what what are we going to have? Like a, a Pepper's Posse in the stadium every Sunday? <laughs> I, I mean, how how big is that section going to be? <laughs> oh, man. man, I don't know, man. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm sure it's going to be big, though. Man, you know? <laughs> Especially, especially open the day, but uh, I don't, I, I don't think, of, I don't think it's gonna be a Pepper's posse though. <laughs> <laughs> Jabro, we we can't wait to see you here in a few weeks. Congratulations again. Welcome home, and we'll see you in mid-April. All right, man. Thanks, Jabro. Yeah. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Jabro Peppers. Oh man, he's gonna be fun to cover. <laughs> what a good, smart kid, and he gets it because he grew up here. So oh, yeah. he's not going to be intimidated at all. Uh, about the New York spotlight and, and, and obviously tremendous, tremendous high school player was the number one recruit in the country when he went to Michigan. And as I said, the spotlight at Michigan, 
they live and die with the Wolverines. Absolutely. So he nothing's going to be too big for him. Nothing. That's good. All right, folks, we'll get to your calls in about five minutes. But in the meantime, we have that audio from Dave Gettleman. This is from a conference call that he had with the New York media earlier in the day. You're not going to hear any questions because Dave just had a really long opening statement that really covered all the topics we needed covered. So we just took the opening statement. And uh, I believe there'll be, a, there'll be a transcript on Giants.com. Dave, later the whole thing, there will be. So if you want to look, read the whole thing, go to Giants.com. You can check out the transcript. But here is Dave Gettleman's opening statement from his conference call with the media earlier today. Let's take a listen. Obviously, I'm doing a call to discuss the Odell trade, which was finalized over the weekend after Odell and Jabril passed their physicals. Uh, before we begin the Q&A portion of the call, I'd like to address a few things that have been out there as well as explain why we decided this move was right for the New York football giants. As a point of information, the only call that I initiated regarding moving Odell was to Buffalo. As you folks may or may not know, I, I have obviously, not obviously, I have a personal relationship, relationship with Brandon, uh, being the Buffalo GM from our time spent together in Carolina. I placed a call after I learned they had conversations on Antonio Brown, I good-naturedly chided Brandon about not calling us, and that's where it ended. So that's Buffalo. San Francisco. We had numerous conversations over time, uh, myself and, and John Lynch, the GM. And, you know, frankly, we couldn't, obviously we couldn't come to an agreement, so that died on the vine. As far as Cleveland's concerned, talks were initiated by them and John <clears throat> Dorsey, uh, John knew we weren't going to give Odell away. Uh, so, frankly, his initial offer piqued our interest, and away we went. Uh, from the initial call Tuesday morning till we finalized, it was probably about 10 hours, and there was considerable back and forth. So the obvious question is why. That's, that's the question that everybody has. And after much discussion, we just believe this was in the best interest of the New York football giants. I want everybody to know this was purely a football business decision. There's no intrigue. There's no he said, she said, none of that stuff. So let's not waste time with, a, with those types of questions after the fact. Odell is a tremendous talent, making him a valuable asset. With football being the ultimate team game, and you, know you, and you guys know I've said that a number of times, with football being the ultimate team game, we turn that fact into three assets at the very least. Some have questioned why we signed Odell and then traded him. As I said publicly twice, we didn't sign him to trade him, but obviously things changed. And frankly, what changed is another team made an offer we couldn't refuse. And as it turned out, the fact that he was signed for, four, for five more years made him very attractive and enabled us to get legitimate value. You will ask me about my mantra of not quitting on talent. And, yes, I believe that fully. But quitting, but quitting on talent is when you, get a, when you cut a player or get marginal value in return. And we all know this did not happen here. And speaking of value, you know, you'll ask me how we came to this. My barometer, a litmus test, was the franchise tag. So just for the sake of discussion, our explanation. If we had not signed Odell back in uh, August, 
and the season we had played the season out, and we had put the franchise tag on him. If another team had signed had, had signed him, and we didn't match it, we would have gotten two first round picks. So that was, you know, my litmus test. And oh, by the way, as a point of reference, it's only happened once in league history, and that was in '98 with uh, Carolina uh, signing uh, Sean Gilbert off the franchise tag. And again, as my litmus test, it turns out we not only got two first-round picks, but we also got a third. I completely understand why people are going to debate the merits of this deal, because draft picks are involved. This trade really won't be able to be completely evaluated until we get further down the road. And finally, because of Odell's talent and personality, this was a decision we did not enter into lightly. There were a number of factors to take into consideration, and I can assure you, I can assure you we thoroughly discussed them all. All right, that was Dave Gettleman talking to the media on his conference call earlier today. John Schmalk, Paul Dottino, and now it's us with you the rest of the way. 201-939-4513. We gave you our reaction to Dave earlier. We're not going to do it again. It's all presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes. All right, here we go. Let's go to Jesse and Waterbury. He will lead us off. What's up, Jess? Hello. Hey, how you doing, John? How you doing, Paul? Well, good, Hi. Jesse. How are you? I'm doing good. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, make a couple points. Uh, you know, number one, you know, as sad as I am to see Odell go, you know, um, the, the the main thing is we, we didn't win much with him here. And, you know, not that I think a lot of it was his fault. I mean, a lot of it, I think, is to do with him being a product of today's modern athlete. You know, um, <clears throat> back in the day, you know, you had to win before you uh, got your chip and dip commercial and your sneaker deal. So, you know, I, I think that catch that he made on Sunday Night Football versus Dallas is probably the worst thing that could have happened to him at that time. Yeah, you know what? It, it might have brought things a little bit too fast. I think I think that in retrospect, I, I think you have something there going, to be honest with you. I do. You know, it's tough for a kid that young to have all that thrust on him that quickly. And we were joking the other day where – if that same exact catch happens against the, the Tennessee Titans at 1 o'clock on a you know, random November <laughs> Sunday, you know, it'll get replayed a couple times on highlight shows, fine. But it's Dallas Cowboys, it's Sunday night football, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It just thrust him into that spotlight so, so quickly. Yeah, when you consider that the Giants-Cowboys game, which every year NBC takes at least one of those two games, yeah, one year the they took both. It's always the highest-rated game. It's it's amongst the highest-rated games they've ever had in Sunday Night Football history. So the spotlight is dilated to such a degree that whatever happens is going to be blown out of the water. And so, you know, if you want to say that that turned into a negative – I guess you could in terms of the attention that he got, but it certainly was a spectacular play, which I think every one of us in the building that saw it are happy we, we did. Of course, unfortunately, the Giants yeah. lost that game too, which they is did. unfortunate. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, and then the last point I wanted to make is that, I mean, I really feel that Gentleman hit this one out of the park where he got back for Odell. I mean, we're going to get uh, a first-rounder, a third-rounder, and we're going to get this kid, Peppers, who seems to me like, I mean, mm. this kid seems like he's better than Landon Collins at this point in time in his career, and he's only 23. I mean, he's he's, he's an ascending player. I mean, he was a first-round pick two years ago, so in essence, we're getting two number ones right. and a number three. And, you know, with those two picks, I know it's a little early to say, you know, if the trade was, you know, uh, you know worth it or, or whatnot, but, I mean, I, I really feel like Gettleman 
did a great job in getting the assets that he did from Cleveland for a player caliber of Odell. You could debate a Thank lot you, of a lot of different call. angles as to what he said about the value of what the Giants got back, but the one thing you cannot debate, and that goes back to PPD, points per dollar. John production came up, per dollar. Production per dollar. I'm sorry. I was I always screwed up. Too. I know fine. production <laughs> per dollar. John came up with that abbreviation last week, and I couldn't agree with it more. You cannot dispute the production per dollar of Landon Collins, who left the strong safety spot, and Jabril Peppers, who's coming in at the strong safety spot at a miles different value on the contract. It's not just close. It is miles different. So when you talk about PPD, there is no way to even dispute that. That's a fact. Yeah, and and if you compare the two players, if you just look at them from a stature standpoint, and, and I'm not sure if it's up yet, but we'll have the interview with Jabril Peppers up on Giants.com soon. If you just look at the, it's up there, Dave? It is. So you can go check it out right now. And if you just look Great. at him, well, after the show's over, of course. Uh, if you look at him physically, he's just not as thick as Landon Collins. Landon Collins is a much thicker, bigger guy. That's why Landon, quite frankly, is probably a little bit better as a run support guy because he's a little bit bigger. He's a real short tackler. But Pepper's upside, and when I talked to him on the video interview— He'll hit too, John. Well, though he will hit. He's just not as bulky as Landon right. is. Two but, inches shorter, I think, too. And he's also—but fa- he's faster. And, yes. And that's the thing. He has that speed. And, and, and Pepper's told me last week that one thing, even though he got better as a man-on-man cover guy last year, he's even lined up outside and in slot corner on different plays depending on the game. They lined him up all over the place. That's something that he still was working on and he thinks he's supposed to get better at is the turning and cover aspect of the position. But I think he has a lot more upside in that area. And frankly, I think he might be better right now because of his superior change of direction and speed than Collins is at that aspect of the game. So that's kind of the trade-off with the two players. The only thing that I would say, John, when I first heard that they got him, and I remember saying to you right away, the first thing that hit my mind was this guy has physical tools yeah. Oh, you, no, yeah you you can ask him physically to do anything on the field that a defensive back needs to do now whether or not he comes through and and succeeds in the play that anybody knows depending upon what you're asking him yeah, I mean, but no, yeah. but he's got the tools mm-hmm. he can do it he is capable of doing it and that's a big deal all right, let's go back to the phones at 201-939-4513. Let's get Joe in Pennsylvania up, Dave. Joe was kind enough to let us hang up on him to get the two guests on, and then he called back in. So, Joe, we appreciate Hi, Joe. that. What's going on? Uh, n- no, I- I'm liking it. Here, with, the, uh, with them, uh, I'm hoping these safeties here with the tight ends we have in this division now can uh, cover these tight ends because that's, that's a big team thing. And uh, even yes. the Cowboys tight end, what's his name? Coming out of retirement. Well, yeah, Jason uh, yeah. Wynn, and then you had Blake Jarwin, who looked like Jason Wynn in that game last year in December, uh, which was crazy. Yeah. Right. Well, remind I'm me of Wynn. I'm just hoping that these guys can cover these tight ends, especially Eagles, Ertz, and that, because he's a killer. You know, he has 10, 10 catches at least a game against us, and well, that, that's a big thing. The one problem there, Joe, he's only 5'10", Peppers, okay? So uh, he does not have height or length. Now, he's got the speed, and he's got coverage skills to play the ball. But he is going to have to overcome a height discrepancy if he's going to be in a particular man-to-man slot scheme against the tight end. I'd rather have a guy that's a little bit too short than a little bit too slow. 
Let me yes. put it that way. Well, I would agree with that. I, I'm just saying, I think with, with Collins and uh, Collins, with the, what, the guy we got, what's his name, the veteran we brought in that. Antoine Bethay. Right, that we'd be in better uh, position to cover these tight ends and and uh, back side of the backfield now, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I do. I don't think Antoine Bethay, they're not going to use him to cover man-on-man as much. He's more of that single-high center fielder type with good range. And what I like about mm-hmm. Bethay, when, when you look at, it, at his tape, Joe, he doesn't make mistakes. And he look, he's not right. going to make every play. He's on the wrong side of 30. He's probably lost some athleticism, but he's extremely intelligent. He's done it a long time, and he's not going to screw up. And I don't want to take shots at the guy because he was a very good guy. But, look, you saw Curtis Riley fail to be in the right place at the right time or taking a bad angle last year. That cost the Giants some really big plays. Mm. And Bethay right. is not going to make those types of mistakes. Right. It's been o- over the years, definitely, the safeties covering these tight ends and the uh, uh, backside of the backfield well, you know, was a big thing for us. Uh, Peppers. I'm just wondering, uh, what's his name? The the guy we got the uh, the safety here from Cleveland. His contract. I hope they ain't running out in a year or so, and we have to pay him a zillion bucks. Well, look, Joe, and and thanks for the call. Every contract runs out. Uh, he has <laughs> he has two years left on his rookie deal, and then they have a, th- a fifth year option on because he was a first round pick. So they will control his rights for at least three more seasons. And by then, you'll know if he's worth another contract. Correct, and how much you'll have to pay him. So right. that's kind of how they look at it. I want to throw one more thing out there, by the way, because we got a couple questions in the draft. I want to make sure I get this in. We haven't mentioned them yet because this move happened after Friday's BBK show. Golden Tate, um, a guy the Giants decided to bring in. We haven't talked about him much. Did Dave mention Golden Tate on the conference call at all? It was not discussed other than the context of you have some older players you've okay. acquired, and he said age is not relevant. I, I want to know if they can still play football. All right, well, he was asked about that by Bob Pop, and he said he's a pro's pro, good player, mm-hmm. uh, can use him in a lot of different ways, uh, tough guy, yards after the catch. and Blocks for the run, John. Yeah, he does that too. And the one thing that I noticed, and he plays special teams too, by the yes. way. He was in, in the return game. He was a good punt returner. Um, and I was surprised by this because he's had that slot guy label put on him, right? Two years ago in Detroit, he played outside more than he played in the slot. Right. In the Super Bowl year in Seattle, he played outside more than he did in the slot. Mm-hmm. So he can do both things. I know I know. we actually got a call about him, I think, on last Thursday's show or Friday's show, and we're like, eh, maybe you want a bigger guy. I'm not sure how he fits well in Sterling. They both play the slot a lot. Well, I looked at it, and it's my fault. I should have been more educated on it. He actually has had maybe half the years of his career going back to Seattle or maybe slightly less than half. He actually played outside receiver more than he played slot. So he can play out there without too many problems. His production per game has been better in the slot, though, to be honest, over the course of his career. And I think that's why there was a concern initially about, okay, now if you have two slot receivers, is that going to work? But again, he's done enough of outside stuff where he can go out there. And by the way, I, I, I put this up on Twitter the other day, and, I, and, a, and a reader did not understand it at all, John. But it's entirely possible that when the Giants snap the ball, they could be in a formation that winds up in a two-by-two, okay, where Shepard is on one side as the slot guy, and Tate could be on the other yeah, side as the slot and guy. You could even line Ingram out, up outside if you wanted to. Well, and that's my point, yeah. because you could have Ingram go in motion, wind up going outside to the boundary. Try to get the one-on-one with the linebacker out there, something exactly. like that. Right. It could easily have, or you could even wind up sending Barkley out of a lone setback, having him go in motion and go out to the boundary, 
which which they've done a few times. Yes, okay, have. same All deal. They want to get the mismatch. Same same thing. You have an empty backfield. And when you finally get all those guys deployed, when Eli hikes the ball, you very well may have a slot guy on each side. And you guys know it's hard enough sometimes for NFL teams to have one good slot corner who can cover someone who runs really good routes. Imagine now hiking the ball and Eli's got a slot guy on this side and a slot guy on this side. What are the odds that the other team's going to have two competent slot cover guys on the field what are the odds not too good so I could see that at times being something that the Giants may want to throw in there 201-939-4513 Antonio Manhattan is up next hey Antonio what's going on pal what's going on guys how you doing good afternoon good afternoon how are you <clears throat> doing good doing good so my question is this um I heard that because of Tate signing, that would mess up with Landon Collins' comp pick. Is that true, or how, well, how does that work? I, I want to stress this. Anybody that claims they know exactly what players are going to get count to cancel out what comp picks are lying to you. They don't. Right. Everyone projected the Giants would get an extra fourth and a fifth this year. How'd that work out? So it, it all depends on how these players play this year, what guys end up counting, what guys end up not counting, You know, and, and where everyone ends up going. Um, I read somewhere that the Tate thing would maybe – uh, counteract the Jamon Brown signing rather than the Landon Collins signing. But again, this is all us guessing. Uh, until we right. the picks come out next year, there's there's no way to know. The only thing you can say, and again, it's like the Coca-Cola mystery formula. Nobody really knows how they they calculate these things uh, during the offseason. But you can at least take a guess and say, well, look, if a an all-pro caliber guy signs a top-tier free agent contract at his position with with another team, you could pretty much get a good feel uh, that unless you sign one of those top-tier guys at a position, that you're probably going to get something back. You can kind of guess that that's going to happen. But what it's going to be, holy moly, there are so many factors that go into it. You really can't nail that down until the appropriate time. So don't really think about that too much. But based on what's happened to this point, it would seem like the Giants would have a balance that would favor a potential comp pick as of today. I'm not going to claim it's for sure, but you would think so. All right. And um, I just wanted to clear up some things. I mean, I, I, I dislike right now the kind of the bashing that Landon Collins is getting with about he can't cover. I mean, this guy, he was just in a bad system. I think I, I called all year last year telling that's just playing too much man. This team is too slow to play man. And I feel like just like we don't blame Eli for all the things that have happened on offense, we can't blame Landon Collins alone on defense because he couldn't play you know, against the pass. And, 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 no, but here's the would... bottom line. Antonio, if you're a strong safety mm-hmm. in this league, you can't play zone mm-hmm. every play. You're going to have to cover tight ends man on man. You just are. It's part of the job responsibility. I understand that. But if, just look around the league. What What? strong safeties are out there that have great coverage, like this elite coverage that, that we're talking about. Who are these safeties out there? Well, I mean, if you go back when Byron Jones played safety for Dallas, he was a very good um, guy that would cover but tight ends Byron for them. Byron Jones was so good that they moved him to corner. He's a corner now. Yeah, because he covered safety so well. Exactly. And Cam Chancellor, he, when he was in Seattle, get guess on the Legion of Boom defenses who covered tight ends one-on-one. Cam Chancellor. 
Here, here's the thing. I, I appreciate what you're saying because no one's going to bash right. Landon Collins outside of folks who honestly just want to have sour grapes over the whole thing. He was a terrific giant. Yeah. He was a very good player for them. We know that he made, what, three Pro Bowls. He was the finalist for Defensive Player of the Year one season. If anybody bashes Landon Collins, then they're just being sour, okay? He was a really good player and a really good giant. But, but, again... Go back to what John said about production per dollar. You and can't, that's where I agree. And that's where Jabril Peppers, mm-hmm. for, for the contract he has, for being a competent and ascending safety, you got much better value than if Absolutely. you're you know, paying supreme dollars for Landon, who unfortunately had been injured in each of the last two seasons and had to have surgeries. And it, Those things are facts. Those things yeah. aren't debatable, and, and that's not a knock on Collins. Yeah, and Antonio, by the yeah. way, that that's why safeties don't get paid a lot of money a lot of the time because there aren't a lot of good safeties out there that can cover one-on-one. You're right. It is a rare yeah. skill that's really, really valued in the league. And just last thing that I want to say is, man, we're putting a lot of pressure on Jabro Peppers with, hey, man, he could – you know, play the coverage, play the coverage, play the coverage. Next thing you know, though, one couple of plays or one player, a couple of plays, he gets beat. Everybody's going to be, you know, the fans are going to be just eating him alive. When it wouldn't be, it's not going to be fair to him neither. And another thing, too, is he's not as big as Landon Collins. His game is right. avoid the block and make the tackle. Mm-hmm. Landon Collins is more of a linebacker build, kind of sort of, he can shut up right. sure. and make a tackle. Yep. So again, that's what we're going to see. We're going to, I, I think we're just putting right now too much pressure on Jabril. Um, Jabril. He's a great player, but late when you see him miss that, um, you know, get, get bulldozer over by, by, a, by, a, by a blocker, and people are just going to eat him up alive. It's going to be really bad. I feel like we're setting it up. You know what, though? I'm going to let you guys go. That's, 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 shame, that's shame on the fans if they do that. Because guess what? I guarantee you Jabril Peppers is going to get beat on a big pass this year. It will happen. He, will. he, he will. will also probably get beat for a touchdown pass at some point sure this year. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you at some point this year, some offensive lineman is going to get to the second level and squash him on a big run. It's going to happen, folks. Okay, he's not going to make 100% of the plays that he's on the field. So shame on anybody if they exaggerate their criticisms of a player who isn't able to make 100% of plays on the field. All Jabril Peppers is going to do is come here, do his best, try to fit into the scheme, and if by the end of the season he grades out well, guess what? Then the Giants did okay. 201-939-4513. 201-939-4513. Back to the phones. What up, Stoss in Washington? How are you, Stoss? Hey, I'm good. Hey, real quick, I don't know if everyone else heard, but when you guys played that that radio interview with Dave Gettleman, we didn't hear any, anything. All no, no, no. You no, guys talking. Like, no, I even heard when Paulie asked for a 30-second standby. No, Stoss. On, no, Stoss. On hold, you weren't going to hear it. The people that were listening online did hear it. Got it. Yep. All right. Yeah. Sure. Uh, no, that's I, we okay. appreciate your attentiveness to the phone, yes, though. Yes, we do. <laughs> thank you. Hey, I just want to make sure you guys knew about it. All right. Nah, thank you. Yes, sir. I'm going to just I like the OBJ trade. I'm not saying that we're a better team without him. I'm saying that I like the move. Okay? It happened, and I wish I wish New Yorkers, us New Yorkers, we're, we're, we get so heartbroken and we get so angry. We act like we know better than everyone else. And all of a sudden, everyone's questioning Dave Gettleman like he doesn't do this for a living. I like the trade, personally. Secondly, if, um, if you were to tell me, take OBJ out of it, if you were to tell me that 18 had Saquon Barkley, 
Golden, uh, Golden Tate, uh, Sterling Shepard, and Evan Ingram as their offensive weapons, I'd say that team can score points. I would say that. So I don't think that because OBJ is gone, that's it, we, we can't score. Do we lose some explosives, some big playability? Maybe, sure. I, I, you can't take that away from that guy. He's an amazing talent. But for them to just put us in the dumps already, that's, uh, that's pretty rough to, that's pretty rough to, to say. Um, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take your point one step further, okay? And John had the stats uh, on the show the other day about how the Giants still were very productive offensively without Beckham during the final month of the season. But I'm going to go one step further. It's not about how productive they'll be without Odell Beckham Jr. It's how productive was this offense when the offensive line was not functioning properly. That's the bigger deal. If you don't have a functioning offensive line, it doesn't matter who's on the field. Your offense is not going to click. Point blank. You could do without a skill position guy if your offensive line is kicking people's butts. I agree, which is why I really hope we get that. uh, I think his name is Reamer, Remmer, that one right tackle. I really hope they can figure that out underneath the cap and and get him on because I think that'll be the finishing piece to make it a very serviceable um, offensive line. Um, if I was the GM, I would pick, I would use both my first round, my second round, and my first third round on defense. And then if we're, and if we're going to take a quarterback, I'd rather us try to choose, try to trade for Rosen than anyone who's in the draft. Just my personal opinion. Then a quick question. I'll take the answer off the air. Um, anything on the Sam Beal injury? How's he looking ready to go for next year? All right, guys. Thanks. Appreciate it. Uh, far as we know, he should be ready to roll for the midseason program, for the offseason program. Pardon me. Yeah. So we'll see. I got too many tweets here. I'm not gonna be able to pick one out. And well, I, I'm, I'm, I tried. Just getting loaded here with screen have, after screen. I after have like screen. 99 plus on my notifications. So we'll try to take some tweets over the next couple of days. Uh, final call of the show, and I wonder if he's calmed down a little bit. He's very most fired up I've ever heard Len in Maryland last week. Len, did you calm down a little bit over the weekend, pal? I personally don't like the trade. Okay, that's fine. But I, t- but you I told to. you that last week. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Listen, um, I, I, I really appreciate Dave uh, Gettleman coming on. And given his point of view, I think it was absolutely necessary for people to hear that. Yep. Uh, smart public relations move. I don't know when they decided to do it, but it was absolutely necessary for him to get on there and, and give his point of view. Um, bottom, uh, bottom line on the trade, and I think forever it will be known as the trade, um, I, I want Beckham on my team. Um, Collins, um, you know, my disappointment is, um, you know, we should have gotten somebody for him. I mean, this is a 25-year-old guy, three-time pro bowler, uh, team captain. No, but Len, go, Len. Going to somebody can, who's going to wind up going to somebody in our division. We'll see him twice a year. You can still get a third-round pick for him. For the next five years. Yeah, go ahead. I'm yeah, sorry. No, that's okay. Uh, you can still get a third-round compensatory pick for him. It though. might happen. Yeah. It might happen. We don't know. Right. It might happen. Let me um, let me say something. If um, I'm a kind of a senior guy, if comp picks go away tomorrow, if the whole concept of a comp comp pick goes away tomorrow, it won't bother me in the least. I don't think it's a good thing to be honest with you. I think it leads to instability on rosters, and I think you know we can talk about that at another time when we've got some uh, good time. Land, land, I'm, I'm not a land. Big comp, I'm not a big comp pick. Guy. Land. 
How about we just do away with free agency and go back to plan B like I wanted to be? Get out of your cave with your flint (laughs) and your wood and your wheel that you just invented. Welcome to the modern era. I don't care what the courts say. Plan B free agency Uh, was great. I loved it, and that's the way it should be. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there you go. All right, one more thing. Um, I like the comments on Eli. I think they were absolutely necessary if we're going forward with him as our quarterback. Um, and, And I hope that's a consistent theme not only from Dave Gettleman, but from Shermer as we go forward. Um, I want to see it be consistent when we, if just in case we're two and six, uh, because we've made this decision and, and I, you know, I want to see us stick with it and defend that decision, defend that decision. And, and I hope it's, you know, I hope we're not in a situation where a month from now, um, you know, with the Beckham deal, we didn't sign him to trade him. And I hope today's comments, um, you know, a month later, I hope Dave doesn't say to us, well, you know, we got such an offer that we just had to make the deal. We just had to draft that quarterback. Um, yeah, I, I hope he's consistent now and, and we stay with Eli. All right, listen, you know, go Giants. We, you, you know, we look forward. Um, I'm hoping – let me say one, one thing about the draft, and thanks, thanks for keeping me on as long as you have. Um, if we get the 37 and the center, Bradbury, is still there, you've you got to make that pick. I don't think you'll be there. I don't think he'll be there, Len. No, I doubt it. teams looking for centers. I doubt it. Now with Unger retiring, uh, Khalil in Carolina, Denver with Paredes gone, Kansas City with Morse gone. They were all looking for centers. I don't know that Bradbury's going to last that long, but my God, if he's on, if he's still there at 37, you got to take Bradbury. Thank you, Len. Hey, thanks for taking my call, guys. Appreciate it. And look, Bradbury is a first round value. So if he's there at 37, the hell with need. You take him. I just he he ain't gonna make it. They have a better shot at taking a productive and functional offensive tackle at the top of the second round than, than they do against Bradbury because Bradbury's yeah. gonna be gone. You can you can find you can like Elgin Jenkins might be there or you know. the, or Eric, Eric McCoy the McCoy kid out of Texas. Yeah, A&M. I know who you mean. He might be there, but uh, Bradbury's not gonna make it past twenty five. I wouldn't think. But but John and I, you know, we did extensive uh, conversations at the combine with a lot of people, they and there are plenty. Of, of offensive tackles who are going to be solid. They're not going to be Pro Bowl guys. We, we heard that very clearly. You know, you're talking about Jawan Taylor, uh, you know, and Cody Ford are, are basically top of the mountain yeah. at, at that spot. And, and Williams, and, yeah. And then, right, and Williams, although mixed results on him from yeah, the but folks He's still going to be a top 20 player. He will be. Yeah. Uh, he's going to be picked there somewhere. And then there's that little drop, and then there's a bunch of guys. There's a nice, thick row. That's Reisner, like the, the next guys who are going to last into the early second round who are supposedly solid prospects. So you got a better chance of taking one of them. And let me say one more thing before we say goodbye real quick. I know we're past 1 o'clock, but we did a lot of interviews. So just on you know the whole Eli thing with Gettleman, we really didn't talk about it all that much. The point that Dave made that I don't think a lot of people picked up on where you know he talked about where what Eli's making is in line with what starting quarterbacks make in the league. It absolutely is. In fact, he's near the middle of the league in terms of what starting quarterbacks make around the league. And aside from the Case Keenum deal, which I could not have predicted that the Broncos would have picked up a lot of that salary, whoever you replace Eli Manning with, all right, in free agency, if you went that route, whether it's Nick Foles or somebody else, it's basically going to use up whatever cap space you were going to save by letting him go. So then you're saying, well, we're going to draft a quarterback to replace Eli. 
Well, what happens if you're not sure you can get a quarterback? What happens if Kyler Murray goes number one? What happens if the Niners refuse to, to, to trade out of the second pick of the draft? What if the Jets refuse to trade down with the Giants and they trade down with another team? And all of a sudden, the, the two quarterbacks who are targeting in this theoretical world are gone when you pick at six. And there was no actual way for you to get either player. There was literally no chance for you to get them. Then you're sitting there without a first-round quarterback, without Eli Manning, without a free agent. Then what do you do? There were then a, what do you do? There were 17 quarterbacks in the NFL that this year will make an average based on their current deals of $20 million or more a season. Eli would be number 14. Right in the go, middle of the league. Which goes to your point. You got to replace them, folks. As Dave said, these decisions are not made in a vacuum. You don't just wave Eli Manning and then figure it out. This is the quarterback position, for goodness sakes. That's it, not how you operate. Yeah. And look, you, you know me, I was open to drafting a quarterback last year. I'm open to the process. I want to I want to get this thing going. Let's figure it out. Let's get the next quarterback. Let's do it. That doesn't mean you willy-nilly cut a guy when you don't have his replacement standing there waiting. That's not how it works. Anyway, that's what I wanted to end on because I feel like that point is often missed in this whole, you know, well, reaction. There, just, oh, just cut him. There are a lot of points that are often missed well, in this what? clickbait world, Mr. Schmelk. A lot of them. Thank, a lot of them. Thank you, Paul. You're welcome. I believe it is Lance and Fiegel's tomorrow. Jeff begged me, so I'm going to come in on Friday to do Friday show, even though I might not come into work otherwise. Okay. And he will be with Lance tomorrow because Paul is off doing, what do you have this weekend again? No, uh, well, during the weekend, I've got the Northeast Conference Women's Bowling Tournament. Yeah, so when Paul's not on Friday, that's why. And that's why I have to come into work. <laughs> For Paul, the Tito, I'm John Schmelk. I'm just busted. All right, we'll see you tomorrow on Giants.com. And everybody have a great day. Adios.